Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. got a Bible, I'd like you to take it and turn with me to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, it's right at the very, very end of the Bible. You got a phone and you want to follow along on uh, your phone. I use the uh, New American Standard and that'll uh, keep you in sync with me as well. YOLO. We have been uh, doing a series of messages we call YOLO, you only live once. Well, not really. Uh, After I did the first sermon, my granddaughter Miriam said that I should have named it YOLT. You only live twice. And you know what? She's right. And here's the problem. The second time is forever. And the truth of the matter is uh, your destiny is directly tied to your relationship with Jesus Christ. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is based on faith. In his finished work on the cross of Calvary, you are going to go to a place called heaven. You don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is based on faith and the work that he did on the cross of Calvary. You will not end up in heaven. You will end up in hell. So really, in what we did uh, for the last several weeks, we've been answering the question, what is life like? After death, we spent the first Sunday talking about what life was like for an unbeliever, for a person who has never trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior. What is life like in hell? And then we moved on to more pleasant subject, and that is like, that is, what is life like for us believers? If you're here today and you have trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, what is life like for you? in a place the Bible calls heaven. We're going to wrap that series up today by talking about the eternal heaven. Say, okay, wait a minute, what is that about? One of the things we've discovered over the last couple weeks is that, in a way, hell, or excuse me, heaven through the ages is a little bit different. Before Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, People who were trusting in God for their eternal life, they went to a place that Jesus himself called Abraham's bosom. In Luke 16, Jesus tells this parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And, you know, you might, if you've missed the discussion on this, you might say, well, wait a minute, that was just a parable. Well, that's true. Jesus was telling this parable to illustrate something else. But as with every parable Jesus told, It was set true to life. You know, when Jesus told parables, whether he was talking about a rich father who had two sons who were responding differently to their wealth, or whether he was talking about a woman who had lost a precious precious piece of jewelry, or talking about some shepherd who was out looking for his sheep, or talking about some farmer and the woes of scattering seed, and some falls on good ground, some falls on bad ground. Every parable Jesus told was true to life. 
And so why in the world would we think the parable he stole, told about the rich man Lazarus was any different? So I really think that, that life after death for people before the cross of Christ was pretty close and similar to what Jesus described there in Luke 16 in that parable of the rich man and Lazarus. So, you know, someone asked me this last week, well, what was it called before Abraham? I don't know, but that's one of those questions you can pick up with God when we get there. But, uh, you know, before Jesus died on the cross, people went to this place that Jesus himself called Abraham's bosom. He said, well, why didn't they go straight to heaven? And the simple answer is, their sins had not been paid for. Those Old Testament sacrifices were like principal payments, but nobody had bothered to make a principal payment. Or excuse me, those Old Testament uh, uh, sacrifices were like interest payments, but nobody had bothered to make the principal payment. The principal was finally paid off on that debt when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And one of the things that Ephesians 4 intimates that is that while G- after Jesus died on the cross, he went to Abraham's bosom and he led all those righteous people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, etc. He led them into God's presence. And they get, went to this place that we go to called the present heaven. And we talked about that last week. What's the present heaven like? Well, today we're going to talk about the eternal heaven. Well, what in the world's that? Well, I asked you to look at Romans chapter, or Revelation chapter 21, and you get to Revelation 21, you find out that it says, the old heaven and the old earth passed away, and there was a new heaven and a new earth. So evidently, the present heaven that my mother-in-law went to Shirley Court went to, Evelyn Tyler went to, all these believers that we've known through the ages, my parents, perhaps some of your parents, my brother-in-law, they're all in the present heaven. But someday, at the end, that heaven will pass away, just like this earth will pass away. And God, in Revelation 21 talks about a new heaven and a new earth and even a new Jerusalem. And so we're going to just give it the label, the eternal heaven. Now, let me catch up with you. Let me turn to Revelation chapter 21 here. And I'm going to tell you something that I learned in seminary. Paid a lot of money to learn this. Revelation 21 comes after Revelation 20, okay? So, when does the eternal heaven happen, occur? When's it get created? After the events of Revelation 20, chapters 4 through 20 of Revelation. You know, there's a lot of discussion about how Revelation 4 through 20 pans out. Some people are premillennialists, some people are postmillennialists, some are amillennialists. I like what Josh Morris always says. Some people should just be panmillennialists because it's all going to pan out, okay? I don't know. Uh, but you know what? Here's the thing that's really kind of cool. 
everyone, even all those people that are wrong on their views of the millennium, not like me, everyone says that after that kingdom, after that millennial kingdom, after that great white throne judgment, you're in Revelation chapter 21. Man, just look back at verse 11 of chapter 20. And John tells how he saw this great white throne judgment where the books were open and all the people in Hades were brought forth and those whose names were not found written in the book of life were cast into hell. And by the way, that's everybody that was in Hades. God didn't make a mistake. Oh, you went, you went to Hades? I thought you were in Abraham's bosom. Or you've been in the... Well, no, okay. You got what I'm saying. I'm not teaching purgatory here, okay? Because it's wrong. Uh, You've got to listen to the sermon two, week, two times ago to get that one. But here's the deal. All of that has occurred. The raptures occurred, the tribulations occurred, the horns, the trumpets, the seals, the pestilence, all that massive death and all that stuff that those chapters describe. It's all occurred. The kingdoms occurred. The millennial kingdom, those thousand, that thousand-year reign, whether you rightly believe that it is a thousand-year reign that Jesus comes back and establishes or whether you just think it's you know kingdom in your heart like the non-millennialist believes. The truth of the matter is, all of that's done, however you see it panning out, and after that, there's the new heaven and the new earth. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a minute. So what we're going to do today is talk about the eternal heaven. What will it be like? Not not where are we going to go if you know, perchance we die this afternoon. We die this afternoon, we're going to the present heaven. But what will, what's our ultimate destination? What is the ultimate destination for all who have trusted God for their eternal life? The work that Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. What's, what's our ultimate destination? Well, here's the way I want to tackle the subject, just like we did last week. I want to talk about what we're like, and then I want to talk about what it's like. Now, what we're like is kind of similar to what we saw last week in the present heaven. But it's different enough that it's worth considering the the details of it. What will we be like? in that eternal heaven. You know what's interesting? We'll be conscious, been emphasizing that all all of these sermons. No, No soul sleep, no one drifts off for a million years and then finally wakes up. I mean, it's like 1 Corinthians 15 says, when that change happens, it's like a twinkling of an eye. You're conscious in this life, and then immediately you're conscious in that life. So you're conscious... But here's what's really cool, and this is what the difference is between the present heaven and the eternal heaven. Everyone, all of us who are believers, we are now in that resurrected body. You say, okay, now what is that? Here's the thing. The Bible makes it very clear. 
that that body you're in right now, this body that I'm in right now, it's going to be raised, just like Jesus's. It, it will somehow, and, and you know, there's the science and all that stuff, you know, there's more questions than the Bible bothers to answer. But the Bible's very clear that, that, you know, like Job said, in this flesh I will see him. I mean, somehow God takes this body, just like he took Jesus' body, and it is a resurrected body. It is a perfected body. It is a perfect body. You know, people in the present heaven, my mother-in-law, my parents, etc., like we saw last week, they're in what probably is like an intermediate body. They've got a loner, if you will. God never created us to just be these these, uh, floating spirits that are around, that are disembodied. God created us as human beings who, who were immaterial and material. And we've been designed and created to be in a body. And so in the present heaven, we're, we, we're given a body. But it's not our body. I could take you to Restland down there in Dallas, and I could show you where we buried my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, Vicky's uncle, the mother relatives. You know, I could take you to Salt Lake, and I could show you where John and Frida are buried. You know, and if we want to do, we could dig it up. And you say, well, what about cremation? Well, God's, God's a good God and a creative God and a big, big enough God that he can pull it all back together. But somehow, that body, and I think 1 Thessalonians uh, 4, when it's talking about the rapture and some of the stuff that happens there, Those bodies are raised. Now, just exactly when are we given that resurrected body? When's my mother-in-law going to get her resurrected body? I'm not exactly sure when. Will it be just at the rapture or, 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 uh, well, it will be, but, but when exactly it all pans out. But by the time you get to the eternal heaven, You've got your body back. But here's the thing that is great. It is a perfect body. It it is a body that is fashioned just as God wanted it to be fashioned. In other words, it's a body that wasn't susceptible to disease. It's a body that wasn't susceptible to aging. It's a body that was wasn't susceptible to getting tired. You know, all these people that want to go to heaven and sleep for 10,000 years, that my mom was in that camp, uh, you don't need to. You don't want to. Like I remember hearing one of the presidents who left office talking about his last six months. He loved being president so much, he said, I never wanted to go to bed. I didn't want to waste four or five hours just sleeping. I wanted to squeeze as much life out of it as I could. That's actually how it is in heaven. doesn't mean we're, 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 we're going to be running on adrenaline. I mean, but we're going to be so rested and so at, so at peace and so stress-free 
We're not going to need that sleep. We'll talk more about that here in a minute too. You're going to be in that perfect resurrected body. What exactly is it going to look like? I don't know. I think it's going to look like Vicky, you know, for, you know, perpetual. I mean, it's going to look like me like I used to. I don't know. Is it going to be overweight, underweight, look like I've gone to CrossFit a whole bunch? I don't know. Whatever your God decides, that's what it's going to look like. That's what you get. Now, it gets even better. Just listen to this. When we finally get to the eternal heaven, we'll be fully removed from sin and its consequences. Remember I talked about how the people in the present heaven now, and and by the way, the the passage we kind of got a lot of this from was 1 Corinthians 5, if you weren't taking notes. They're they're in an intermediate body. Their body has not been resurrected. It's still out at Chapelwood or Restland or some veteran cemetery up in Salt Lake. They've got a loner. But eventually they will get that resurrected body back. But you know what? It's not going to be a resurrected body that is still bearing the consequences of sin. Like aging, like disease, like uh, getting tired. Why is that? Because sin has has been removed. See, you know... Let me put it this way. Let me liken it to this. You know, every once in a while when we travel, we'll rent a car. And I like renting a car. I hate paying for them, but I like renting them. And the reason I like renting them is because most of the cars I drive are like 17 years old. And they need to be vacuumed five months ago and still hadn't got to it. I love a rental car because it still smells new. And it's clean, and it's got all the little bells and whistles that my 17-year-old car doesn't have. The only problem with those rental cars, they're not mine. But you know what? When I get to the eternal heaven, my body was a car. I'd get my car, but it would be in mint condition. I mean, it would have been like you know, Woody Hearn or someone else totally restored it back to showroom quality. No dings. And even better, if you're writing things down, write this down. No sin nature inside of it. Not that the intermediate body had a sin nature. It doesn't. But this body does. You know, I see it in all the kids, whether they're my kids, grandkids, your kids, your grandkids. Every human being has an inclination to sin. We don't have to teach that two-year-old to say no. We don't have to teach that five-year-old to not do what he's told. Why? Because there is a, a nature towards sin that we are born with. That's what we inherited from Adam, Romans 5. I'm going to get this body back. You're going to get your body back. It's not just going to be perfect. It's not going to be susceptible to age and disease and and need rest and sleep. 
on top of all of that, it's not going to be inclined towards sin like this one is, like yours is. That's what I'm saying when I say we're fully removed from sin and its consequences. In a way, you could take this point, in a way, you could say our salvation is fully completed. You know, when, when theologians look at the Bible and, and see all the benefits of Jesus' death on the cross for us, we like to think about it, you know, in the past, he saved us from the penalty of sin. In the present, he is saving us from the power of sin. I actually now have the ability to say no to temptation, whereas before I had no ability to say no for, to temptation. In the future, I'm going to be saved from the presence of sin. And when I finally get there, I will be fully saved from all the impacts or consequences of sin. That's all that Jesus Christ accomplished when he died on the cross for you. He saved you from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, the presence of sin, and ultimately the impact of sin. When will I experience that? In that eternal heaven when this body is totally restored, made perfect, made like Jesus' resurrected body, and I'm there. I'm there. Totally removed from sin. And you know what else? And this is something else we, we've talked about. That's when I think we are finally deployed and we're busy and productive. Scripture doesn't give us an awful lot of information on just how we are, but remember all those parables Jesus told about heaven and, and you know, spiritual things? He talked about, you know, well done. You did a good job on this thing. I'm going to give you five more. Well done. You did a good job on this thing. I'm going to give you a ten more. It's like somehow all of those rewards that 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 you know, we will get, assuming we get some, if we've lived our life pursuing that gold, silver, precious stone as opposed to the wood, hay, and stubble, that, that those rewards are not just things to put on our chest. That those, are, those are areas of responsibility. Those are places of, uh, of responsibility or authority that God has deployed us. And again, Scripture doesn't give a huge amount of detail on it, but the indication is it will be incredible. And yet us in our finite things says, well, I don't want to be busy. I don't want to be productive. I want to do this. Guess what? You'll be doing, you'll be busy doing the things that you want to do because you will be perfect and you will want to fully do the will of God. And what exactly that is, is God's. Whether he has you doing this or this or this or something else. Okay, so those are just some thoughts about what we're going to be like. Let's, let's go to that next question. What is it like? Now, that's where I've, got, I've had you turn to if, Revelation 21. We're finally going to take a look at the Scripture here. 
John says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is verse 1, Revelation 21, 1. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, let's just stop right there. Okay, I, I understand, and you probably could figure this out just without hardly even thinking about it. Why, does, why do we need a new earth? Well, it's because this earth has been totally impacted by sin. I mean, Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, thorns and thistles came in. Work became very difficult. It became very difficult to make a living. The fruit didn't just fall off the trees and end up in canned jars so that you can sell them easily. You have to work to make that happen. This world is totally impacted by sin. There's disease, there's, there's death, there's all sorts of things going on here. We get it why this earth should pass away. But isn't it interesting that he's going to create a new earth? It's kind of a key to telling us exactly where, what we'll be doing. Why do we need a new heaven? What's wrong with this heaven? Well, here's one thing. This heaven is a place that still, in God's wisdom, gives Satan access. Remember Satan? Satan was the, one of the highest, if not the highest, created being who rebelled against God. His career is a fascinating one for you to make sure you understand. But several times in Scripture, we see Satan in God's presence accusing the brethren. Probably the, 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 the clearest one is in the book of Job, Job's one, Job 1 and 2. Satan comes in and accuses Job of being a mercenary. He only loves you because you've made him healthy. He only loves you because you've made him wealthy. Take it all away. He'll curse your, your face. That's what Satan was saying about Job. Scripture calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. That didn't just stop when Jesus came. It didn't just stop when Jesus died on the cross. That's still going on. I got bad news for you. Satan is in God's presence accusing you, accusing me. That's what he does. What's he accusing you of? What's he accusing me of? He's still doing it. Evidently, heaven... This present heaven where God is, yes, it's glorious, it's wonderful, it's like what we saw in Revelation 4 and 5, but evidently there are elements of it that have, still, that have been tainted by sin. And it's not until Satan is fully judged, which happens in Revelation 20, which actually comes before 21, then we get a new heaven. So this... This earth needs to be replaced. Even as good as the present heaven is, it needs to be replaced. And in Revelation 21, 1, we find out that God finally makes all things new. We get a new heaven and a new earth. 
and there's no sea on this new earth. Why might that be? You know, the the seas, the oceans throughout Scripture are always seen as barriers, things that limit us. You know, in our country, we kind of are happy. We've got the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, and they've provided us with a lot of safety and security through uh, our couple hundred years. Uh, They didn't view them that way. They viewed them as things that limit you because you couldn't transverse them. And uh, so in this new earth, there's like limitless things. What's going on here? What are we going to see here? You know what I think we're going to see here? We're going to see earth as God created it to be. This is, it's like it's the Garden of Eden, but sin never enters into it. He said in verse 2, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, it's kind of interesting. This is really fascinating. Uh, 40, 50 years ago when he proposed it, a lot of people were like, that's nuts. But now, I think a lot of people would say, oh, it could be that. Dr. J. Dwight Pentecost, he was one of the professors at Dallas Seminary, super, super smart guy, did a whole bunch of study on prophecy, and that's what he kind of became known for. We actually had the privilege of having him here in Texarkana a couple times where he spoke at the church. I had him for a couple classes, and uh, he's now along with the Lord. But anyway, Dr. Pentecost, he saw the new Jerusalem as coming down, and it's going to get described here in a little bit. He saw the new Jerusalem coming down And it actually didn't come all the way to earth. It basically was this city satellite that revolved around the new heaven, or or that revolved around the new earth. Now, in the 60s and 70s, when he said that, a lot of people thought he was bonkers. But you know what? Someone who writes some of those Marvel movies must have read his book and said, that's a pretty good idea because if you watch the latest superhero-type movie, one of the Marvel things or something else, they've got all kinds of cities that are revolving around planets. Is that what's going on? I don't know. The language technically allows for it. But he sees it coming down as this gift from God made ready. It's like this bride that's walking down the aisle to be received by her husband. And the thing that's really kind of cool is the Old Testament saints, they were always referred to as the bride of the Father. And, of course, we all should know that us on this side of the cross in the church, we're referred to as the bride of Christ. So is this new Jerusalem, it's the bride that contains the bride's, coming down I don't know and he said and I heard a loud voice this is verse 3 from the throne saying behold the tabernacle of God is among men and she he shall dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be among them now 
just think about that last little bit of verse 3. Remember the first Sunday we talked about the heavens? First heaven, second heaven, third heaven. The third heaven is the dwelling of God. It's the present heaven. Where is God's dwelling in the eternal heaven? Here. God is here. And and what's really kind of cool is the rest of this chapter, there's no description of a temple. It's not there. Why? There is no need for a temple. Well, as he goes on, he he talks about so many things, and you get over to, uh, oh, let's say, verse 10. Then he really gets into details about this new Jerusalem, and he talks about the gates that are carved out of one single pearl. That's where we get the idea of pearly gates. He talks about how the roads are made of gold, and we talk about those streets of gold. See, let's get that right. My mother-in-law, my parents, Shirley, Evelyn, all the other believers we know that are now with the Lord, they're not walking on gold. It's like God's not going to give all of that until we all get there, and then we all get to walk on gold at the same time. Nobody gets there ahead of time. Several other details that are kind of cool to, to mention, but uh, let's, let, let, me, let me just point out some things here. Here's what I find really fascinating. There's no temple listed here because God is there dwelling. You didn't have to go to the temple where he's localizing himself. He is everywhere present, as always, but it's like everywhere is his temple. There's no sun, moon, or night because we won't need to sleep. That resurrected body, it doesn't deteriorate, it doesn't age, it doesn't even get tired and long for sleep. You know, the older I get, the more I long for sleep. And then the problem is that about 4.30 in the morning, I I'm wide awake, and I'm just like my old dad, and I'm thinking, golly, can I sleep in till 6? And it doesn't happen too many times. Why is it that we don't need sleep? It's because we are in a perfected body. Let's just take a minute here, because there's so much theology. This whole cycle of, of being awake and then going to sleep, being awake and going to sleep. You know what? Before they sinned, Adam and Eve didn't sleep. Sleep is a consequence of sin. You ever thought of that? But it's a wonderful thing. Think about the imagery. You go to sleep, and let's assume you have a good night's sleep. When you wake up in the morning, it's like resurrection from the dead. And then as your day goes on, the effects of sin wear you out. And you finally die. And then you wake up again. Every 24 hours, God is teaching you an object lesson. He's teaching me an object lesson. And that is that you were born in sin, and the consequences of sin are death. But the free gift of God 
is eternal life, is resurrection through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why God put it into our system that, that these 24-hour slots that, that you know, are determined by the earth revolving around, you know, ro- revol- rotating on its axis and when we get to see the sun and when we don't get to see the sun, all of that was built in by God to remind us that sin has totally tainted everything. But in the new Jerusalem, in the new earth, there's not going to be a sun. There's not going to be a moon. There's not even going to be any light. Why? Because all of the light comes from God the Father and God the Son, and we don't need to sleep. We may sit and say we long for sleep now, But in a way, it's like we're just longing for that escape from the tired, from the stress, from the strain of living in a fallen world. But in the new Jerusalem, in the new earth, you don't have that. And then look at this. Look over in chapter 22 because the description goes all the way further in there. Verse uh, 1 says, And he showed me a river of water, of life, clear and as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the middle of its street. And on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing its fruit every month. And its leaves of the tree, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there was no longer any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their forehead. And there shall be no no longer any night. And they shall not have need of light or a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illuminate them, and they shall reign forever and ever. That's the eternal heaven. Now you might look at that and say, wasn't a lot of specifics. No, you're right, there wasn't. There wasn't. I, I, we, we don't fully know exactly what we're going to be doing. But we know that God is there, and it's good. You're taking notes. Write down one more passage. We've looked at Revelation 21 and 22. Write down Psalm 1611. David said, Thou will show me the path of life. And get this. In your presence is Fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What's heaven like? Fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. It is going to be absolutely incredible. We're going to be with God, totally saved impact of sin, gone, along with the power, presence, penalty, 
sin. And we will be with the Lord, and we won't even have the effects of sin forcing us to nap or lay down or have to go eat. Imagine that we get to eat because we want to eat, not because we have to eat. And I'm pretty sure we can eat all we want. At least that's what I'm banking on. Otherwise, this body will be an extra large resurrected body. You know, it's interesting. C.S. Lewis, in his uh, classic, The Chronicles of Narnia, you've read it. Probably many of your kids have read it. I think it's six volumes. And there are these incredible stories, these kids that go to Narnia. And, and basically, it's Lewis's attempt at kind of a, a parable of the Christian life. And, you know, it's filled with uh, the lion, Aslan, and the witch, and all the battles that these 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 princes and princesses fought and how they were to be rise up and be the the soldiers for the king and after he's told all these stories at the very end of the last novel i think it's called the last battle the last line reads like this as he Lewis sums it up, likening all of life to what these people had just experienced. He said, all their life in this world and all their adventure had been just the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter 1 the great story, which no one had ever read, which goes on and on forever. With every chapter getting better than the chapter before. That's what heaven's like. I think Lewis nails it. What's life like in the eternal heaven? Pleasures forevermore. Let me ask you, are you going there? You know, I've done four sermons now. One on heaven, or one on hell, and three on heaven. If you were to die right now, and God said, why should I let you into heaven? What would be your answer? Well, I went to church on July 2nd, holiday. I stayed in town and even went to church. Not good enough. When they passed the baskets, I put some money in. Not good enough. Been totally faithful to my wife. Totally faithful to my husband. Not good enough. I was a great parent. Good job. Glad for it. Not good enough. What are you banking on for your eternal life? There's only one thing. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Love the passage, Acts 16. The pagan jailer asked Paul, what do I need to do to be saved? He didn't give him ten answers. He gave him one. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and you will be saved. Is that your answer? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. When push comes to shove, what are you depending on for your salvation? Is it that I'm a good person? Kind of know the Bible? Worked in Awana? Came to work church work days? Was a member of five different churches all at the same time? What are you depending upon? There's only one answer. Jesus Christ, the one who died to save you. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior? You can trust Jesus Christ right here, right there sitting in that chair where you are. It is a matter of simply saying, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner. Jesus Christ is my Savior. I mean, it would be an absolute shame to listen to me talk about heaven and hell for three hours now. You add it all up. And for you to walk away and say, you got to think about it. I mean, the book of Hebrews says, today is the day of salvation. Do not walk away without making sure you are absolutely certain that you trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. Jesus Christ came for one purpose, one purpose only. That is to glorify God by providing payment for our sin. And he did that when he died on the cross. Are you trusting in him? Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the privilege of being able to talk about what life is like after death. And Father, I thank you for what you have revealed to us about it. Father, there's so many more questions we'd love to ask and answer. But Father, you gave us enough to know that that is someplace we want to go. We want to be in your presence. We want to enjoy that fullness of joy. Father, if there are some here today that have never trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, have never come to the end of themselves, where they recognize that they are totally bankrupt spiritually, I pray, Father, that today they would trust in the only one who can save. Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for salvation that we have through him. Thank you that through simple belief, your grace saved. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.